It's something that can drive new parents insane, but it's essential to our development as social creatures. Asking questions. As children, we ask questions incessantly as a way to understand the world around us. As we mature, our questions become more nuanced and complex, and our motives are less obvious. Or we hesitate to ask questions for fear of sounding dumb, or because we don't want to challenge someone. We're encouraged to be curious, but we're seldom told that curiosity is a skill that we can improve. Our question this episode. How can we ask better questions to get better results? Welcome to episode 31 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo and I am super glad that you have joined me today. In this episode, I'm going to explore a fundamental element of good conversations and especially productive conflict. Questions. We might think asking questions is intuitive. I mean, we've been doing it since we were, you know, 2 years old, you know, as soon as we could start talking. And I mean, you say something and you stick a question mark on the end of it and that's a question. Or you engage in what's called up talk, which is a vocal inflection that bends the pitch of your statement up at the end, like I did just there. But there's both art and science to crafting questions that help us to most effectively influence, connect, and learn from one another, and it's definitely a skill that you can sharpen and get better at. As a coach, the biggest tool in my toolbox is curiosity. If it's a good coaching session, I'm spending about 75 to 80% of my time asking questions of my client. I try not to give advice or answers, although depending on the situation and if I have permission, I'll offer a resource, perspective, or piece of feedback that supports the client's goals. But mostly, I spend my time reflecting the words of the client back to them and asking what we call in coaching powerful questions that support them in processing their situation or how they're feeling. They're called powerful because they are not your normal questions. They are designed to empower the client to draw on their own experiences, their knowledge and resources. And it helps them to come to their own conclusions. That way they own the answer as opposed to it coming from me and not being part of, you know, who they are and from their own experience. Powerful questions help someone come to new awarenesses, to make decisions and to determine their next steps among other outcomes. And you don't need to be a coach to experience the freedom of asking powerful questions. And I use the word freedom because being able to ask open-ended, non-judgmental, sincere questions removes the burden of you being the hero, the person who solves the problem for the other person. Powerful questions can also help to prevent or de-escalate conflict, which in my book is definitely a form of freedom. And that's only one reason why being skilled with asking questions is valuable. As I mentioned a moment ago, being able to ask good questions is key to influencing others. Any time you want to persuade or influence someone, a few well-placed and thoughtful questions can put their focus where you want it. And as I said that, you know, I I realized that that could sound manipulative and that's not what I mean at all. As I discussed with Karen Lee in episode 28, the fine line between influence and manipulation lies with context and intention. 
good questions don't have a predetermined answer unless you're taking the SATs. Good questions are open to whatever response the person gives. Here's where the science comes in. I found a great post on fastcompany.com written by author David Hoffeld that shares research that has shown that, quote, questions trigger a mental reflex known as instinctive elaboration. When a question is posed, it takes over the brain's thought process. And when your brain is thinking about the answer to a question, it can't contemplate anything else. Hoffeld goes on to say, According to an earlier study published in the Journal of Applied Psychology, asking citizens whether they're going to vote in an upcoming election increases the likelihood that they will by 25%. And in yet another study, this one from 2008, researchers found that asking about one's intention to give blood raised donation rates by a modest but noteworthy 8.6%. The same effect has been found in studies involving computer sales, exercise frequency, and disease prevention. In each case, all these behaviors can be increased just by asking about them. That shows us that our questions set in motion thoughts that have the potential to change our behavior just by raising our consciousness. There is a leading element to this, I will admit, but that's perhaps acceptable if the questioner has good intentions and the desire to influence is based on good and not evil. Good questions also help us to connect with and learn from one another. It'd be a rather unsatisfying conversation if no questions were asked. At a very basic level, questions satisfy the human need to be seen and heard by another person. Genuine curiosity and active listening are two of the greatest gifts we can give someone. It's also unsatisfying if only one person in the conversation is asking questions. I've been in conversations, and I'm guessing you have too, with someone where I asked questions and they just talked. And then at the end, they'd say, well, I wish we could have had longer to chat. I didn't really learn anything about you. Some of that might be on me if I missed opportunities to share, regardless of whether the other person asked me or not. But most of us wait to be asked about ourselves. And if no one asks, we don't tell. I hope I've made the case for you to keep listening and learn how you can ask better questions. We're going to do a quick overview of five of my 10 best tips. And I say five of my 10 because as I got into doing this podcast and putting it together, I realized that it would be overwhelming to offer all 10 of them. And as I started writing about each one of them, I found that there was a lot more to say than I initially thought. The tips I'm going to offer here, as well as the ones in part two of the podcast, apply to any kind of situation you find yourself in where you have an opportunity to ask questions. Conversations with friends and family, networking, sales calls, interviews, meetings, and so forth. And while many of these tips might seem deceptively simple, it takes a lot of practice to integrate them into everyday life, where they feel natural and you're not even thinking about it. I've been on the journey of learning to ask powerful questions for almost 11 years now, and I still trip over myself sometimes and break my own rules. The difference is that now I'm aware of it, sometimes painfully so. 
And I notice more when I've diminished my effectiveness by not following question best practices. I can hear where I get off track and either reframe my question or I make a mental bookmark of what wasn't effective and what I want to do better next time. My point with sharing that is that just as with anything that's new or different, there's a learning curve. It takes time for new habits to replace the old. And that's really what you're doing here. You're taking something that you already do a lot of, which is asking questions, and you're forming new habits around how you do it. So with that, let's get on to part one of my 10 tips, starting with general observations and moving into more specific strategies. One, a question should be an invitation, not an interrogation. By asking a question, you are opening the door for someone to share information. Keep the tone inviting and friendly by leaving space between your questions, offering your own perspective as appropriate, and seeing each response that you receive as a gift, not just a data point that leads to another question. If questions are stacked on top of each other or presented quickly, the person on the receiving end can feel put on the spot and really like they're being interrogated. Slow down, listen, and ask your questions one at a time. Two, be sincere. Don't ask a question, especially about how someone is feeling, unless you really care about the answer. You don't have to care deeply or profoundly, but at least care enough to hear and listen to what they have to say. Don't ask for someone's opinion unless you intend to take it into consideration. Here's an example that's a variation of the scenario I offered in episode 28 about deciding where to go for dinner. If I want to go to a Mexican restaurant for dinner, but want my husband to think that he has some choice in the matter, an insincere question would be, where do you want to go for dinner? In my mind, I know there's only one right answer, but I'm giving him the illusion that it's up for negotiation. It would be more sincere and honest if I said, I'm in the mood for Mexican. Would you be up for that? Now, if I asked, would you be up for that? I'd have to be ready for his answer, which very well might be no. But at least I was honest up front about what I wanted instead of hoping that he'd read my mind and then being irritated when he says he wants Chinese. Three, start with what, not why. I know that there's a popular book and a TEDx talk by Simon Sinek that tells us that we should start with why. And I've referred to that concept numerous times over the past few years. And I agree that starting with why is a good idea when it comes to figuring out your values and motivation, for instance, for being in business or for the work you do or even how you spend your time. It's not such a good idea for formulating questions, especially if there's conflict in the air. What's so wrong with why? It was the first thing we learned in coach training. Asking why, whether it's your intention or not, can put someone on the defensive. Often we'll start a response to a why question with the word because, which can lead the person feeling like they have to justify or defend themselves. Depending on tone, why can seem judgmental and accusatory. Why didn't you do your homework? Why did you move those files? Why are you acting this way? Even if you use a gentle tone, 
it's advisable to try, whenever possible, to start questions with "what" or "how." Rephrasing those "why" questions that I just shared would sound like this: What kept you from doing your homework? What was your rationale for moving those files? You seem distracted, or upset, or angry. What's going on? It might seem like we're splitting hairs here, but there is a definite energetic shift between asking what and how, and asking why. Four, the best questions are open-ended. Few things grind a conversation to a halt than close-ended yes or no questions. This is another benefit to the practice of starting questions with what and how. There's virtually no way to answer them with a yes or a no. Did you? Have you? Will you? Is this? Can you? Does this? These are all invitations for someone to say yes or no. Now, granted, we often elaborate our yes or no answers, which can make it seem okay to do. Let me give you an example of where that can be deceptive. Let's say you're meeting with your financial advisor, and she asks you, "Do you think you will make any career changes in the next ten years?" Most of us wouldn't just say yes or no, even though technically we could. Yes, I think I will make some changes. No, I don't think I will. Instead, we're more likely to say, "Yes, I might go part time and go back to school," or "No, I'm happy with what I'm doing now." That's better than just a plain yes or no. But does it really get at what the advisor wants to know? The question beneath the question is: What professional changes do you anticipate will happen over the next ten years? This is a more general question, and it's more likely to get you to think expansively, such as the fact that you might be happy with what you're doing, but you're worried that automation or a company merger might force you out. Yes or no questions lead us to either-or answers, whereas open-ended questions lead us to both-and answers. It's not that yes or no questions are always bad. Sometimes they are completely appropriate. Did you take out the garbage? Doesn't need to be rephrased as a how or what question. My invitation to you is to notice how often you're doing it, and if your desire for information would be better served with an open-ended question. If you're looking for a breadth of information or richer answers or deeper responses, it's probably going to be better served with an open-ended question. Number five, don't disguise advice as a question. This is a tricky one because we often have very good intentions and we think that we're being curious. For example, if I ask you, "Have you thought about giving up smoking to help with your asthma?" We might sincerely be wondering that, and what we're really saying is, you should give up smoking if you want to get a better handle on your asthma. We're really stating our opinion or offering advice. If that's what you want to do, do it. Don't hide your advice in a question, thinking it'll seem less direct or less bossy. Just find a compassionate way to say it, such as. I've read that cigarette smoking makes asthma worse, and I'm wondering if quitting would help you. That's a much more compassionate way to frame your advice. If you really want to back off and let them come to the conclusion themselves, a sincere, open-ended way to support them would be to ask, "What have you tried?" or 
what do you think is making your asthma worse? That might get them to thinking about the connection between their choices and their condition and what they might be willing to change. Alternatively, a winning combination might be asking them an open-ended question. So what do you think is making your asthma worse? And if they don't mention the idea you're thinking of, such as giving up smoking, then you can offer it up as a suggestion. Okay, that is enough for today. It's a lot to notice and to think about. And before I offer you your call to action, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com, partly because there I will include a link to that Fast Company article that I mentioned, as well as any other resources that I think you might find helpful. Also from there, you can access past episodes, subscribe, or offer feedback. You'll also find information about leaving a review for the show. It would really mean a lot to me, and I know to other people who want to know what to expect from this podcast, if you took just a couple minutes to share your thoughts in a review. Thank you for considering that. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I sincerely welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode, and you'll find the online submission form and other instructions at howcanisaythis.com. In closing, here's your call to action. Pick one of these tips, and for the next week, focus on noticing how well you do it. Let's recap our options. One, notice if your questions are more invitational, as in they're requesting information, or more like an interrogation where they're putting someone on the spot. Two, check in with your sincerity. Are you asking a question because you think you should or to give someone the illusion of choice, or do you really care about the answer? Three, notice what words you start your questions with and aim to use what and how way more often than you choose why. Four, pay attention to whether you ask more close-ended or open-ended questions. For every close-ended question you ask, try to reframe it as an open-ended question to see if that leads to more interesting or informative responses. And finally, five, Catch yourself if you're disguising advice as a question. Either offer your input directly or ask a sincere, open-ended question that helps the other person think through their options. I share all of those and maybe you're a type A or an overachiever and it might be tempting to try to pay attention to and change all of those habits at once. And if you want to try that, I say go for it. But feel free to pick just one. Spend time noticing what your patterns are and decide from there what new habit you want to create. And then add another pattern to notice and a new habit to form. Just as you wouldn't walk into the gym after a long break and just pick up the 50-pound weights right away, you don't want to try to pile on too many things to pay attention to at once and stretch your muscle to breaking. Take it one new habit at a time. And be sure to listen next week for the final five tips on how to ask better questions. And while you're thinking about it, take a moment right now to leave a review and to share this episode with a friend. The more people we have asking powerful questions, the better. This is Beth Bilo. 
and you have been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. 